Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Jesse, and uh, uh, I was here last night. Um, so, how many of you were here last night? How many of you tonight's your first night? Oh, you better look out. So, at this point, I feel it necessary to give my surgeon general warning. Um, may make you uncomfortable, may make you challenged, um, may make you never the same. So if you're not exactly into that, that's cool. It's all right. It's an invitation. It's not a, it's not a requirement. Um, but last night we talked about uh, your story and your testimony and how God made you who you are and he's not apologizing for it. So you need to stop apologizing for it. And to reclaim your identity and your story. Because the enemy wants to twist it. The enemy wants to shame you. The enemy wants to harm you with that. And so you need to reclaim that. Not so that you can write your own story. Right? That's not the goal. Just so we're clear. Well, I'm going to have to take this off. This happens. I like earrings. They don't like the microphone. You want to reclaim your story, not so that you write it, but because God is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And you want to put it back in his hands. And you want to know who he says you are. So tonight we're going to talk about the next step of that. But before we do, I'm just going to pray for us. Because you need it and I need it. So Papa, thank you Lord for your presence. Thank you for your anointing tonight. Thank you for the manifestation of all the angels in the Holy Spirit that is here right now. We just acknowledge that you are God in this place. Jesus, we ask you to be king over this place. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to move, to have your way, to do whatever it is is your prerogative to do tonight. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. We give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. Lord, the parts that we're able and even the parts we're not, out of faith, we prophesy over ourselves that we are fully yours. Papa, I just step under the mantle that you have in my life, the calling that you have on my life. I just step into that and I just say it's yours, it's you. Will you be everything I'm not? Will you be amazing? Will you bring truth? Will you bring life? Will you bring fire? Lord, and I just submit myself to your will and to your way tonight. Thank you, Papa, for being so good and kind to us. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. Would you raise our faith right now? Would you raise our courage right now? Would you increase that thing that's starting to bud and, and, and starting to kindle inside of us. Will you breathe on it? Will you breathe on it, Lord? Because that is the truth. It is as light and as easy as breathing. It is not more complicated than that. So we surrender to you. Lord, teach us. Teach us your way tonight. In your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, so last night was anointing, or last night was identity. Tonight is anointing and calling. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How do, how do you move in the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing and the calling? And if you've heard me talk about things of the Spirit before, 
then you might have heard me say that this thing of moving in the power of the Holy Spirit is not a power thing. Christianity is not a power thing. Now, we've corrupted it, and we've let the world seep in, and the world has made it a power thing. And so we believe in some ways it's a power thing, but it's not. And we're going to kind of dismantle that a little bit. But tonight I want to talk about how the anointing and the kingdom alignment and how the things flow through our life. So I've got a little illustration since it can be a little abstract. We're going to look at plumbing because my husband and I have remodeled two basements from scratch and our, well, it was our least favorite thing until PEX came out when we had to sweat all the pipe, like it was terrifying. It was terrifying and like third trip back to the plumbing store because you're like, oh yeah, that, that well didn't work. Um, <laughs> you cut things down to the nub. I, I had to turn off my house water in the street because we <laughs> screwed it up so badly uh, in my house of Wyoming. But anyway, it's a lot easier now with pecs, praise the Lord. Um, but I want to use a plumbing illustration to help us think about how anointing moves through us. So if this piece is who God says you are, your identity in heaven, who God sees you, who he's called you to be, what he has designed for you from the foundation of the earth. If this is what God says you are, and then this is what you think you are. This is your perception of yourself, right? This is how you're living, this is how you're acting. Now, kingdom alignment and anointing has to do with how in alignment these two are, okay? So if they're like this, Right? If the way that you see yourself and the way you live your life is in alignment with who God says you are, you're going to get a good flow. Right? If they're not, you're not going to get a very strong flow, but you'll have something. Right? So the degree to which you, the way that you see yourself and the way that you think you're about yourself is in alignment with who God says you are, the greater the flow is through your life of the anointing and the presence of God. So we want to bring these together. And we're gonna, we've been doing that in two parts. So we did part of that last night, and we're going to do part of it tonight. How do we bring these together? And then how do we think about what goes through here? Like, what is it that moves through here, and how do we participate with that? So anointing comes from alignment and less blockages. And that's because... As that, as that alignment happens, as these two things come together in greater alignment, then more water is able to flow through, more pressure. All that stuff is true. So we want to impact the world around us. And that's not about praying harder. And it's not about memorizing more scriptures. Although, please read your Bible and please pray. <laughs> please. Don't forsake that. Because how else are you going to know who God says you are? And how else are you going to know what you need to do to come into alignment? But it's not about trying harder. It's about yielding to the Lord and moving in the right things. Our scripture for this weekend uh, has been Galatians 3, 2 through 5. And I'll read it to you again tonight. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believed in the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be now? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? 
Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Thank God the answer is no. <laughs> because maybe like you, you know, like you, I screw up and I need God to have mercy and grace. Paul says, of course not. It is because you believed the message you heard about Christ. So I think about this. I think about, first thing I think about is how do this, this idea, if it's not about power, if the kingdom isn't about power, if moving in the Holy Spirit isn't about power, then what is it about? Well, the first thing that I want to tell you that it's about is foolishness. Embracing the foolishness of it all. Paul says, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? When I think about this, I think about the stories in the Old Testament, right? I think about David, who took down a giant with a slingshot and some stones. He didn't use a sword. He didn't use a bow. He didn't use a staff. He didn't use a cannon. He didn't use a bomb. He used a slingshot and some rocks. And I'm sure he was really good with the slingshot. In fact, the Bible tells us he was deadly with it. Killed a bear, killed a lion, right? He was amazing at his slingshot. But to everyone else who was trained with a sword or trained with a staff or trained with a bow, that looked like foolishness. That looked pretty silly. And they totally thought he was going to lose, <laughs> right? Because the weapon that he had in his hand that he was an expert at wasn't the weapon that they had, wasn't the weapons they were used to, wasn't the weapons that they believed were powerful. But I want you to tell, I want to tell you some truth tonight is that you have weapons in your hand that God has trained you with, that God has taught you how to use and how to be amazing with it. And the world may think it's foolishness, but God doesn't. That's the weapon in your hand. Don't let the enemy tell you, talk you into putting it down. Don't let the enemy tell you that you can't slay a giant with that. If God says that this is what he's equipped you in and then this is your assignment, he obviously cares and knows what he's doing. He's big enough. He's big enough. He's equipped you for the assignment he has for you. So be silly. Grab your weapon. Whatever that thing is that you are good at. And go kill some giants. Go be amazing. Yeah. Go be amazing out there in your own way. When we, when we try to talk people into weapons that aren't theirs, which we do all the time. <laughs> we do this all the time to each other. We, we start to tell people how to do things. Right? And we start to tell them how to do these things and then we, we fall into these places where we use rules of thumb and these protocols. Protocols. Anybody know what a pro anybody protocols, you know what I'm talking about there? Like these methods and, and ways of going about stuff. And protocols are a good way to learn something new, but at some point you have to mature beyond that process. Yeah. At some point you need to not be stuck in this rigid protocol and so that you're doing the thing this way, and you have that ritual, or you're listening to that guru, you have to mature beyond 
that rigid structure. There, there are things that we're learning, and that's good, right? In some places, we're in grammar school. God is teaching us new stuff, and that's pretty amazing. But the goal is not to be stuck there. The goal is to not be stuck in kindergarten. The goal is to learn and to move beyond it. Because the problem is, is that when we're stuck in that, in that process, in that protocol, in that method, the problem because of our hearts and the way that we so easily give away our, our, our own ability to do stuff, the problem is that we actually begin to think that the method is what saves us. We actually begin to think that it's the prayer that heals. We think that it's the process that did the deliverance. We think it's the method or the way that we did it, and we put our faith in that instead of the goodness of God. And this is the danger. This is the danger. We actually think that if we want to do something for the Lord, or we want to move out in our anointing, our calling, we got to work ourselves up. We got to have the right methods. We got to work up the energy. We got to pray and storm the gates of hell. And then we end up believing more in ourselves than we believe in God. I'm going I'm to just let that sing in for a moment there. I'm as Pentecostal as the rest of y'all, promise. But this trap, this trap is as old as the Garden of Eden. Because the enemy tempts us to believe that God is not actively working on our behalf. And that he doesn't have the best in mind for us. And so when we believe that, when we, when we let that seep into us, we think that we have to rise to the occasion and fill the gap. We think we have to work ourselves into that space. Revival won't come unless I pray harder. And we wait and we try to live longer and we pray harder and we stay up at night because we don't expect that he's actually good and listening. We think that we have to do the right things in order to, for God to pay attention to us. We put our faith in our own ability to execute a formula instead of God's goodness. So like right now, I'm learning about like the protocols of the courts in heaven. Anybody else? Yes? No? Maybe? <laughs> right? And, and that's great because it's new, but we can't, we can't put too much into that. Like we can't take that too far, right? Because if we're afraid to go and talk to God and to go into heaven because we're not doing it the right way, what does that say about what we believe about God? Right? So we have to do it this way. We have to do it that way. We have to say it in this right order. Or what? Or God's going to be mad at us? Or God's going to ignore our plea and he's going to be like, nope, you didn't say it in the right order. You didn't stand when the judge showed up. You didn't say it this way, right? We call that an incantation when you have to do it the right way. And that's not what we're talking about here, right? Bailiff judge is going to escort you out of the courts of heaven because you did it wrong. Yeah, no. No. Not my God. Not my God. Not my God who crossed heaven and hell to go get me 
He's going to kick me out of heaven. He's going to say, no, you didn't pray it the right way. You didn't hold your face the right way, so I'm not going to listen to you. Not my God. Not my God. My God is good. My God understands I'm just four years old in the spirit. And he thinks that's awesome. So the purpose of the protocols are to teach us the values of the court. And we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. Not get stuck. Learn what we have to learn through that. Not just find 15 new ways for God to not answer your prayer. At the end of the day, here's how I think about this. We're in the process of learning these new things, and so we're in kindergarten. And to me, I think about this like chemistry and baking a cake. If you're a baker, you know that most of baking is actually chemistry. Right? A little bit of what is the oil and the leavening and the flour and the water and how does it all work together and what are the right portions in order to make the kind of bread that you want to make? Right? It is science. It is chemistry. But you don't have to know chemistry in order to bake a cake. Right? If you know a bit, you can maybe make something from scratch. And if you don't, you can go down to the supermarket and get a box. And that's great. You don't have to know the super deep chemistry of the mysteries of God in order to approach the throne of heaven. You can just put yourself together with a little wonky cake box and bring it to God. He's going to eat it and he's going to love it. And he's going to think that you're amazing. Now, if you're 45 and you've been doing the same thing for 30 years, it's a slightly different story. Because what's cute for a 10-year-old is not so cute for a 45-year-old. So, you know, if you've been stuck for a long time, it's time to grow up. But moving on. Move. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. I hope you got your seatbelts on. When I would guide in the wilderness, I was a wilderness guide for 15 years. I had mountains, high altitude mountains, whitewater rafting, rock climbing. That was the wilderness ministry and you get ready you get everybody in the boat and you'll be like you ready and they'll be like yeah but you know they have no idea what's about to happen <laughs> yeah that's all y'all right now <laughs> so last night we talked about owning our story and tonight we're thinking about anointing we're thinking about calling in that and when it comes to thinking about our anointing and our calling, we fall into two, usually one of two gutters. Okay, there's, one of, there's two different traps. First trap. The first trap is that we covet another's anointing. We watch people on YouTube, we watch people on TBN, we have speakers, we have people in our lives, and we're like, oh, I just wish I could do what they did. I wish I could just like breathe on people and they would all just fall down. Then I would be somebody. God would really use me. Whew. We covet another person's anointing. And I think I read somewhere that coveting is a sin. 
Because the truth is that there's no comparison in the kingdom. There's no comparison. You don't get to compare your anointing to another person's anointing. You don't get to compare your testimony to another person's testimony. You don't get to compare the weapon in your hand with the weapon in their hand. It's illegal. It's off. What is that? Out of play. (laughs) See, this is the sin that Lucifer was guilty of. This is the original, original sin. To compare and to covet what someone else has. See, Lucifer coveted another's anointing. He coveted yours. He coveted yours. He wanted to have your alignment with heaven. He wanted the same relationship. He wanted that. And when he can't have that, he tries to talk us into where he lives. It's his trap and it's his fruit. Because if he can get us to covet someone else, then we start to try to prove that we're like someone else. Right? We start to act ways and and mimic them in ways and, and that becomes idolatry. We take our heroes and we make them idols. And we take their anointing and we make it an idol. And we take their life and their testimony and we make it an idol. And we take their ministry and we make it an idol. That's a whole lot of idolatry, people. We look at them and we look at us and we say, hey, I don't think I can do that. And we start to try and we fail because that's their anointing. That's not ours. That's their weapon. That's not ours. And this comparison leads us to idolatry and this idolatry leads us to outsourcing. And we outsource a lot in Christianity. What do we outsource? We outsource evangelism. Let somebody else save them. Let somebody else bring them to Jesus. I don't know how to do that. I'll get somebody else to do it. We outsource healing. Bring them to the healing preacher. We'll have this person. They're anointed. They know how to pray for healing. I'll bring them to them. No, you pray for them. Yeah. Oh, it's getting real in here, y'all. We outsource discipleship. I'm going to watch a YouTube video and get disciple. No, that's not discipleship. Teaching is not discipleship. Discipleship requires a relationship. You have to be able to hold somebody accountable, ask the follow-up question. You cannot be discipled by someone you are not in relationship with. Graham Cook does not disciple me. He didn't know me. Teaching and discipleship are not the same thing. And we have outsourced discipleship to people who are really good teachers. And we have the fruit of that. This is where we are. We outsource anointing. We want somebody else to come in and have the anointing in our town. We want somebody else to come in and do the thing that burns in us. As a pastor, you get people coming to you saying, hey, I have a real big passion for this thing. Our church should do it. The answer is, yes, you should do it. 
right? There are things that Sean is not good at. Just ask his wife. You don't want him to do the thing that is on your heart. He's got to do what's on his heart. He's got to use the weapon that's in his hand. He's got to follow his anointing. And if there's a piece of passion in your heart, that's amazing. Yes, God did that. That's your job. Don't outsource anointing. Don't outsource healing. Don't outsource discipleship. Don't outsource evangelism. This is an abdication of our role and responsibility before heaven. And the idolatry of the heart and an abdication of what God has put in your hands. Don't do this. Okay, take a deep breath. (laughs) It's as easy as breathing. It's as easy as breathing. Second thing we do, second gutter we fall into, is that we can overown things. So we can abdicate on one end, out of idolatry, leads us to abdication and outsourcing. And the other end is that we overown. Okay? And this is where we get into proving and performing and trying to produce our call. And we misuse and abuse the Holy Spirit to do this. We presume that to know what is in the heart of God without asking him. Without asking him for that deep revelation. And we want other people to think we're powerful. Just a couple weeks ago, as an illustration, just a couple weeks ago, I was at our national conference, international conference um, for Foursquare, and I got roped into being in the prayer ministry team (laughs) outside. and, And so... I was praying for one person, and they wanted healing. I'm praying for healing. My hands get hot, right? Anybody get hot? So I had the hot hands. And I was done praying for them, but my hands were still hot. And I was like, okay, well, let's not waste this. I have hot hands. Who needs prayer? And the leader of our global council, his name is Leslie Kegel, was walking by. And I know Leslie, and Leslie knows me, which is, like, important to distinguish, right? So Leslie knows me, and I said, hey, Pastor Leslie, can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I'm like, I got the hot hands. I don't want to waste them. So Pastor Leslie comes up. He grabs his wife, Belen. They come up, and I, um, they have a, a person that's with them. It's usually like a handler kind of person, um, just helps them get places. So the three of them come up, and I take Pastor Leslie and, and Pastor Belen's hands, and I just start praying for them what's on what God is showing me, what he's talking to me about. And he's talking to me about global revival. And he's talking to me about the kingdom coming out of the ground all over the planet. And I'm describing this vision that I see to Leslie. And suddenly the guy who's with him just starts praying over me. Lord, please heal Leslie's back. And I'm like, what? Like he just starts praying over me. Like he was taller than me. And he's just like starts being louder than me. And like, Lord, heal Leslie's back. Heal his back. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously he thought I was doing the wrong thing. And so I finished my prayer because, yeah, you can step on my toes, but it's going to suck for you. So I finished my statement. I finished my prayer. I will not be intimidated. And then we prayed for Leslie's back. And I left there thinking, wow, that was some chutzpah on his part. I wonder what he was thinking. Because I know that for me, I can only pray what I hear the Father saying. I can only pray 
what the Father puts in my heart to pray. And you may have an agenda. You may have a thing that you want prayer, but I can only pray what God is telling me to pray. And so the next day, I saw Pastor Leslie sitting across the aisle, and he was sitting down, and, and I went up and I asked him, I said, do you want some prayer today? Um, and he said, sure, I'll never turn down prayer. And so I pray for him. I ask him how his back is doing, because now, now I've been educated that he has a back issue. Um, and I say, how's your back? And he says, it's better, but I'm still sitting down a little, uh, quite a bit. And so I pray for his back, and I see a vision of a tree with like this giant branch, so the, the tree, like you know the cottonwoods, and they, then they have big, the big giant trunks that branch early, and there was one of those uh, trunks, and it was kind of lean and then cracked, and there was a ton of fruit on the cottonwood tree, but fruit on the cottonwood tree, and I told him this vision, because I couldn't like walk away from it, and I said, I feel, this is the vision that I'm seeing, and I feel like the Lord is wanting you to cut off some of that fruit, and let it go. And I think that God might be okay if you're sitting down a little bit more. And then I made the like, I'm sorry face. That might not be what you want to hear. But I could only pray what God was putting on my heart to pray for him. When we pray out, when we use the power of the Holy Spirit and we pray outside of the, heaven, the agenda of heaven, I call this Christian white witchcraft. See, my mom was a witch. My mom was a witch before she knew Jesus, before she came to Jesus, and she grew up in a Christian home. And she uh, grew, it was, a, it was a Presbyterian type home. She grows up in a home, and then she um, felt the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit, and she was very interested in that. But there wasn't any space for that in the denomination that she was raised in, and so she got lured into the occult because she wanted the power of the Holy Spirit. And, she, and that happens a lot, y'all. So if she is dabbling in that and messing with that, she wants to be a white witch. She wants to be a good witch. She wants to use the powers for good. And she very quickly realized that even though she was praying that, she wasn't in charge of it. And that led her back to the Lord. And as she was getting baptized in the Bighorn River, she goes down, gets exercised going down, and comes back out speaking in tongues. Because God replaces in kind and in measure. And so she, as I was growing up, she taught us uh, about what the difference was. And so I've been doing spiritual warfare since I was little because... Because of that, you know, we grew up with interesting things in our house, like, like things would move. Like what you see in movies, right? It gets up, goes over there. Yeah. That was my home growing up. And like my closet door in my bedroom would open and close and open and close and open and close. And my mom taught us so that even though I was like five years old, my mom would say, you don't worry about that. You just say the name of Jesus. Because Jesus in you is more powerful than that thing. And it can't touch you. It can't harm you. It's just trying to intimidate you. It's just trying to scare you. But it's got nothing on you because you belong to Jesus. So my mom would teach me about the difference with, between what it means to follow the agenda of God and what it means to follow our own agenda. 
And when we use the power of the Holy Spirit to follow our own agenda, that's not actually any different than my mom using the occult to try to do good. It's witchcraft. So when you pray for somebody and you do it out of your own agenda, you're using the power of the Holy Spirit in an abusive way. You're misusing it. We don't get to use the Holy Spirit for our own ends. God's in charge. It's God's agenda. What does God want? When we're praying for healing, yes, that's the desire of the person's heart, and you bring it before the Lord, but you ask God, what does he want to do? I've seen hundreds of healings. I've prayed for hundreds of healings, but not all the time there's every person that comes up for prayer for healing gets the thing that they want. But if I speak the words of life that God is telling me, then he knows the root of what he wants to give them. He knows what he wants to give you. He knows what he wants to give the people around you through you. All you have to do is submit that to his agenda. So we pray for healings, we pray for deliverance, we pray for revivals, we pray that people's ministries will flourish, but how much of that is done out of our own ambition? How much of that is done because we've actually asked God, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you have for this person? What do you want me to pray? Because sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no because he loves us. Here's the point. Here's why we can't practice the Christian white witchcraft. is because God hasn't a plan and he has an agenda. And when we just try to push through when God's resisting us, we'll miss the lesson. We'll miss the refinement. Sometimes, you know, we'd be praying for our ministries to flourish and God is resisting us out of his faithfulness because we're not ready to reproduce yet. There's more things he wants to teach us. There's more things he wants to do in us. There's more ways he wants to refine us. He, sometimes he also resists us because he wants to give us something better. And we're praying too small. And if we said yes to the thing that we're asking for, it would distract us and take us down a path that is not on our scroll from the foundation of the earth because he has something better in mind. And I tell you this because God has resisted me my whole life. One of my undergrad degrees is in botany, and I really wanted to go to New Zealand and study Antarctic moth. Because that sounds really cool. They're the basis of the food chain for the whole planet. And I still think that's cool. He does not let me go do that. He shut that door and called me into ministry. He said no to my plan and called me into ministry. And then I was in ministry for 13 years, and I wanted to stay, and I'm like, we're going to build a retirement fund, we're going to do all these great things, and God's like, no, it's not your time anymore, it's time for you to go. And I was like, what? Like, everything was amazing, but as I looked throughout the ministry, all the problems that existed in the ministry were the same problems that existed in my heart, right? I had replicated my DNA out into the ministry. And if I knew how to fix the problems in here, then I could fix the problems out there. But I knew I didn't know how to do that, and it needed a different leader. It needed a different person with different issues. But so they could fix the lens that I had done. I wanted a family. God said no. 
every time, every month. And then the months that I was pregnant, it was no by the next month. I wanted to move to Colorado for a while. My husband really did. And God stalled us for five years. And he got grumpier and grumpier and grumpier. And I'm like, Lord, you got to do something because this man is getting unlivable. Every dream of my life that I have had for myself, the Lord has resisted. Because they were too small. Because if I was in New Zealand studying moss, I wouldn't be here with you. You guys are beautiful people, and look what I would have missed out on. Just like looking through a microscope at moss, thinking that was so cool, and that was the best I had to give the world. God had better dreams for me than I had for myself. Where is God resisting you? And can you stop trying to pray that away or push through it with your Christian white witchcraft? Can you just resist and say, thank you, Lord? Thank you for resisting me. Thank you for believing in me bigger and better than I believe in myself. Thank you for holding out and enduring my anger and my disappointment in my rejection of you, thank you for being big enough to take that on in order to hold out for what's best for me. Amen. Can we just say thank you? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for believing in me more than I believed in myself. Thank you, God, for not settling for my dreams. Thank you, Lord. My value as a, as a minister, as a person of faith, is that I would live fully transparent. I don't know if you picked that up, <laughs> but I want the outside and the inside to be the same because I never wanna grow beyond where my character can handle. I never want an assignment based on talent or skill or whatever that my character can't handle. And so the Lord has resisted me in promotions to grow my character and I am so thankful I am so very thankful. Jesus, I never want the char my character to be beneath my calling. So now I ask the Lord not to promote me until I'm ready, until I can handle it. Will you give me the character to handle what you want to do through my life? And Lord, will you leave me as small as you need me in order to do that? Because I'd rather have a great and amazing relationship with God than do something in this world. God's not transactional, he's transformational. He's not transactional, he's transformational. Alan Hirsch says that God is holy. God is just. He's personal. You can't deal with him as an object. You can't manipulate him. It's idolatry to depersonalize God and to make him a tool or instrument of your own use. To move in the power of our anointing, we need both the ownership and the submission. We need ownership to own our own story, to own our strengths, to own our weaknesses, to own our weapons, to own our passions, to own our calling. And we need submission. We need to then lay it before the Lord and to not do it in our own strength.
We need to submit that Jesus is Lord of our life, every single little piece and part of it, and we need to submit to the agenda of heaven. We need to submit to the timing of heaven. We need to submit to the way that Jesus does things. And we need to submit to the fact that we don't know that much. We is not that cool. And God says that's the point because it's for his glory. It's for his glory. So if you're going to come into that alignment with who heaven says you are, if you're going to be a conduit of anointing, you need to own that reality and put it at his feet immediately. You want to minister out of your revelation and out of your fire. So the way I think about this is based on the movie Captain Marvel, which is now like right now one of my most favorite movies. So you're going to have to live with me for a moment. I love the image of the presence and the power of God being fused into every cell of my being. And that if I can just stand there and experience his presence, it starts to fill me up on the inside, every part, every molecule, and then maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe the presence of God fills me up so much inside that it becomes this bubble and this force field around me, right? Maybe I can stand in the intimacy of the knowledge of who God is and how much he loves me and my identity, and it makes me start to burn, and then, enemy, you better look out. Because I want to burn with his love. I want to burn with his passion. I want to burn with his fire. I want to burn with his presence. Jesus, I want to go to war naked and unafraid because the armor of God is my skin. I don't have to put it on because I didn't take it off. And it's grafted into me. And so I can just walk out there, and the enemy can shoot his fires, but they're going to melt in my, like, Holy Spirit force field. Right? I don't have to be afraid of the enemy because the presence and the power of God surround me. So those two songs, this is how I fight my battle and put a fire down in my soul, the same song to me. They are exactly the same song. In my brain, they are, like, melded together. So it's like, this is how I fight my battles, here in your love. This is how I fight my battles. I'm here in your love. This is how I fight my battles because the enemy can't get me if I'm in his presence. And then, instead of just being on the defensive, I'm going to go on the offensive. Because that's the kind of girl I am. And I'm going to blow through the enemy's ship just flying through. I don't need a weapon, right? The power and the presence of God is my weapon. And whatever weapon I need, he's just going to put for me there, right? So I'm walking along and I, oh, you need a staff? There's a staff, right? He's going to put one in my hand. He's going to help me find one. I don't have to worry about it. And ultimately, I'm just going to fly right through that enemy spaceship and blow it up. Do you want to blow something up tonight? Are you with me? Are you with me? Do you want the enemy to be afraid of you? The power and the presence of God is your strength. Intimacy with God is your superpower. And that's why we have to talk about the junk. So the junk gets out of the way and we don't mistake the intimacy for the, and the power of the God. And we think that it's something else. We need the intimacy. We need to know that that's our source and not the method. Right? Not abuse the Holy Spirit. Right? Intimacy and Holy Spirit be Holy Spirit. 
and I'll just do what Holy Spirit says. And then, where can the enemy get you? Where can he break that apart? How can he assault you? What weapon formed against you then can prosper? Have the worship team and the prayer team come up. We talk about the presence of God, and our paradigm of that has been to hide from the world and the enemy in the presence of God. And I think we need to change that. Instead of hiding in his presence, we need to carry his presence and invade. Let me say that again. We need to carry his presence and invade. So as I was in Boston, I went to school in Boston for a year, I would sit in the back of the bus and I would just manifest my presence. I would just praise the Lord in my heart. I would listen to worship music and I would just pray for everybody in the bus because I was practicing. I was practicing that presence and that intimacy on the inside, moving outside and being an atmosphere around me, being a force field. And I was like, I'm just going to pray over these people and I'm going to bring the kingdom of God right here on this bus right now. That's what God wants to do with you where you work. That's what God wants to do with you with your family. That's what God wants to do with you with the people or your kids or your parents or your brothers and sisters that aren't believers. Bring the kingdom. Manifest that presence of God out of your intimacy, out of that force field of his presence. Bring that. Invade your world. Don't hide in your prayer closet. It's time to go out. It is time to go out into the field, into the harvest. Because there are little babies being born all the time in the Spirit. God is talking to people. God is doing stuff. And if you're hiding because you're afraid, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss the revival. Because the revival's out there. So take what you have here and take it out there. Get filled up here, pour it out out there. Use your weapons. Know your story. So here's how we're going to step into that. I told you all I was really glad we were praying for bravery. We were praying for courage. This is a courage time. This is a courage moment. In order to do this, in order for that force field, that superpower to come, we need to embrace the judgment of God. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Because if you hear that word and it causes you to shrink back, it causes you to go, ah, like I get it, I feel ya. Because I was raised in a church that believed in an angry God and judgment was something to be feared. That was a lie. That wasn't the truth. That wasn't the truth. My God is not a God to be afraid of and hide from. Right? He wants me to come to Him without shame, with an unveiled face. And in fact, it was in that discussion about whether or not God was meant to be feared that I actually got me kicked out of church. Because I was quoting scripture back to my Sunday school teacher and arguing. I'm like, how can I be afraid of God if he's supposed to be good? How can I be crying in heaven if there's no crying in heaven? Like, how can you tell me this is who God is when everything that I read in scripture says something different? 
The thing is, is that it's the enemy who wants us to believe that God is not good and that we're to be afraid of him. It's the enemy who wants us to shrink back and not embrace his full gaze on us. God wants to look fully on us. He wants us to come before him and allow him to look fully on us. That's what he wants. And that is what the judgment is. But do we believe God's good? Do we really believe that? See, we can't, if we're going to walk in this alignment in this new age of the church, in this new wineskin, in this new anointing, we can't just deal with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We also have to deal with God. And let me tell you some truth to encourage you. Jesus came to the earth and we believe that Jesus was like God, but the extraordinary truth of that is that God is like Jesus. And if you're not afraid of Jesus, then you should not be afraid of God because he only did what he saw the Father do and he only said what he saw, what he heard the Father say and there's nothing that God did that Jesus didn't do. So there's no characteristic that exists in God that does not also exist in Jesus. So if Jesus isn't out there like proclaiming wrath over everybody, neither is God. That's not who he is. And so we can be brave. We can come to him. I came to him and I was like, you know, God, I really believe that you're good. I, I really, really get it. I really believe it. And I really believe that you want things to be on earth as they are in heaven. And the thing I was taught to be the most afraid of was the great white throne judgment. And I'm like, so let's do it. I ain't afraid anymore. So if, things, if God exists outside of time and if things are in heaven as they are on earth, then judge me now. Let's do it so I can move on in greater effectiveness in my ministry. So I said, here I am. Let's do it now. Judge me, Lord. And this fire fell over me. And I felt like my flesh was melting for like 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, God, I know this isn't real because I'm not going to die. So help me. <laughs> help me stay here as long as is I need to stay here. And it burned and I screamed and he pulled me through this black veil. And I get to the other side as it's just like seared all the way through me, across me. And I get to the other side and I'm like, okay, he's seen everything, seen my future. He knows the sins I'm gonna commit in the future, right? Cause all of that, all of time is being judged right now. And I was ready to hear the verdict and he held me and he embraced me he said I love you and that was it nothing else no word of correction just I love you but God's love and his judgment are the same thing because his love is so pure. God's baptism of fire and his love are the same thing because his love is so pure. But we wrestle and the enemy tells us God's not good. God wants you to believe he's good. He wants us to believe and trust and embrace his refinement of us. And 
And as I was praying about this and about what we're going to do, and we're going to give you the opportunity to ask for that bapti- a, a baptism of fire. People have different experiences. That was just mine. As we were doing that, I asked the Lord, what is this about fire in this new wineskin? Like, why are these connected? Why is the fire so important for the new, this new move of the church? And he had took me in this vision. And I was following an angel, one of my angels up the, um, up the side of a mountain. And there was a pillar and fire before us. And I'm like, why? Why is fire so important to this? And my angel said, My angel said, you can't be afraid of the fire because it's the fire that's going to lead you into this new space. So that pillar of fire that led the children of Israel through the wilderness is the pillar of fire we're going to need to do to follow God into the kingdom coming that's starting to happen. And we can't be afraid of the fire because it's what's going to lead us. And if we're afraid, we're going to be like, I don't know, let me go back to the old way of doing church. Let me go back to the 1980s. Let me go back to the 1970s. And we're going to go backwards and we're not going to follow him into his kingdom coming. Papa, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? All right, so here's what I want to do. If you are willing just an invitation it's not a requirement it's not like you're going to go to hell or anything I promise but if you want more and you're willing to be brave enough for God to do whatever that means for you I want you to either stand or come up and pray and and ministry team I want you to just pray in your spiritual language over people okay this isn't the time for prophetic words we're just going to pray because I want God to speak to you himself I, I want God to touch you himself So if you want more, I want you to just come up and kneel, and we're just going to pray over and intercess over you. If you want more, it's an invitation. There's a new wineskin being given out to the church. There's a new calling, a new anointing, a new season that is unprecedented in the history of Christianity. And people know this. It's happening all over the planet. And fire is part of it. So I'm praying for your courage. I've been praying for your courage for a week now. And you are a brave people, right? We live here. (laughs) We're not that shy. So Lord, Lord, as people come, Lord, the fire is not the power, but intimacy is your power. Intimacy is your power. Intimacy is your power. So we're talking about getting closer to God, getting all the way close, closer to God. So prayer team, you just pray over them. Pray in your language, heavenly language over them. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we're asking for you. We're asking for you. We're asking for more of you, God. God, would you be merciful and gracious? Will you meet us where we are? You are so good and you are so kind. Papa, would you touch us right now? Lord, not because we're wise or we follow the protocols, but because you're good. You are good and you are good and you are kind and you love us. Raise our faith, Lord. 
Increase our faith, Lord. I won't. 
Lord God, because we're exactly where you need us to be. Lord God, will you tear down the lies? Tear down the lies. Lord, will you do a new work in us?
that I'll ever come close Nothing can compare Your living home Your presence I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is enough and your presence Lord and Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the air your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord, your presence. I tasted and seen You're the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone You can do it, Lord Your presence, Lord Lord, I've tasted and I've seen Sing that again Tasted and seen You're the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is
of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness Lord let us become more aware of your like Captain Marvel or whatever radiated superhero is your favorite. We're <laughs> gonna practice, right? I want you to practice this. So we're gonna practice tonight. So shine as we sing. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come from this place and fill the
Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Ministry team, if you need them.